The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it. Wednesdays here at Tail Bar City Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you. Numbers to get in, 489-1240. 489-1240 is uh, what you dial up. can email the show, Chris, at HaleVarsity.com. And always uh, find the show, stream us, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, or the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsityRadio. You can also check out KFOR Facebook and Twitter. Mike Babcock going to join us in about 15 minutes. Get his thoughts on so far, so good for Nebraska football camp. Thoughts there. We'll do a jock talk a little bit later. Evan Bland also checks in as uh, we'll talk some more Big Red football and uh, beyond with the uh, potential expansion. A lot of smoke around some remaining teams with the Pac-12. What makes sense? Who do you want? Who do you not want? We'll get there with Evan Bland in the 5 o'clock hour. So uh, a lot to get to, and the other shoe dropped. Let's start off with Miles Farmer. That news coming out a little bit earlier today. Farmer entering his name into the transfer portal. You have uh, Farmer, a grad transfer, going to be eligible to play at a new program immediately. Spent the uh, last four years at Nebraska. Uh, Also this spring, 73 tackles a season ago, 11 starts, and uh, was number two on the team. You had a suspension not specific to any one thing per Matt Rule, but now you have some clarity and direction moving forward, Elijah. We laid out some names to think about uh, to to step in and fill in for Miles Farmer. In the short term, it's going to turn into a long-term proposition. The good news for Nebraska is you have bodies, you have options. The bad news is you don't have a body type that has the experience that Miles Farmer brought to Nebraska's secondary. But this is the one position group you can argue that is deep enough and and possibly talented enough to absorb a loss. Never a good thing. You wish Miles Farmer the best. Maybe he ends up reuniting with Coach Fish at Syracuse. We'll see. And it's just a, it's got to be a, just a weird situation in general. It's tough for Nebraska because you're losing a guy you probably had penciled in, maybe you had penciled in, or maybe you anticipated this based on having to make the decision anyway to suspend the guy who's been in the program for four years. Uh, if you're another program, <laughs> yeah, what's your secondary look like? And son, how quick can you get up to speed and, and help us out at safety? Uh, Nebraska, I think, can weather this, but it's just not ideal to lose a guy with as many starts. And quite frankly, he's he's been around the football. He's been a problem for offenses when it comes to causing turnovers. He's not Terrell Farley <laughs> when it comes to just a turnover machine. He's not Baron Miles, but he's pretty good for what Nebraska's had recently. Yeah, and I don't think you'd put him in that that upper pantheon of 
Nebraska defensive back members through the years, but he was a solid contributor to that defense. That's Good evidence, Evidenced by the 11 starts last year. He would have gotten 12 if it wasn't for the suspension in the Michigan game. Mm-hmm. That's a guy that you usually rely upon your defense to say, you're experienced, you've been here, you've done that. And aside from an injury uh, he suffered out at Ryan Field, uh, I believe that was back in 2019, He's been a guy that you've seen on the field every single year for this Husker football team making plays. And and was there room for upward mobility, especially their new staff? Yes. And as you kind of laid out, I think the, the defensive back room is one where you, you have some depth, but not with the experience of a guy like Miles Farmer. And losing that depth or losing that experience is always going to be a blow to your defense. Just with the veteran type, a guy who's seen everything that offenses are going to throw at you in the Big Ten, that experience is, is hard to replace. But if there's any silver lining to the situation, it's that Matt Rule and his staff, they've shown it at multiple stops. They're not afraid in year one to throw guys into the fire, guys that don't have the experience that you'd like to have. And those guys are able to eventually adjust to the pressure and, and come out better because of it. So I think if, if there's silver line to the situation, it's, you know what, there's a lot of young guys, a lot of new faces in that room, and now it, this becomes an opportunity for them. And are you going to be able to get the best out of them in camp by being able to look them in the eye and say, hey, we got an open spot in the defensive back room. We returned a lot of experience last year, but now as fall camp opens, we have an open spot here. You guys got to go out and compete, and the, the, the cream is going to rise to the top, and we're going to find a guy to fill this position. That's how you can look at this with the, the, the bright side, with the silver lining in mind. But it's still going to hurt this Husker mm-hmm. defense. The fact that a guy that's played that much football at a Big Ten level is not going to be in your defensive back room moving forward. Everyone is hitting reset. This is a new system. Okay, everyone is maybe not at the same starting point or the same page, but it is new. You have new responsibilities, presumably, and some old ones that carry over as part of playing safety. And that is uh, a situation where, you know, Nebraska is going to maybe lean young or go to the next man up. Here's the thing that I think if you're a Nebraska fan, time will tell if this holds true. But based on what we're hearing, and we've heard a lot about accountability since spring ball through summer, and you're seeing accountability where you have to suspend a fourth-year guy because he wasn't doing what he needed to be doing. Fine. That's accountability. You've seen accountability with the swiftness of Bob Wager. Mm -hmm. So there's two instances. It's not, I'm going to preach and then march to the the beat of my own drum with what what the narrative is out there uh, as head football coach and my rules my way. No, I'm, I'm going to hold everybody, coaches and players, accountable to this standard. And that is refreshing. That is needed. That is important. And there's no real exceptions. And, and that's okay. Uh, the, the part of this, too, with Nebraska, based on what you're, you're hearing and you believe you'll see it, is the fact that, the, that Nebraska will be a developmental program. They are going to get guys ready, and they're going to get guys ready and prepared to succeed. It's not always going to be perfect, but you'll be prepped and ready with what your job is and what you need to do within the scope, in this instance, at safety in a defense, or you're not going to get on the field. And they'll put you in a position to succeed rather than swim in deep water. So that's the other part of this, too. Whoever fills in for Miles Farmer moving forward, it could be one guy, could be three guys, could be a rotation. It could be based on matchup. 
each one of those guys, be it a Brown, a Morton, a Collier, a Sanford, a Singleton, they'll be ready. Mm-hmm. They'll be coached up. And they'll be confident. And they'll work through some growing pains. And they'll be better football players by game two, by game six, by game eight, after that first initial wave against Minnesota, whoever's playing at safety. Yeah, and as you kind of laid out, there's going to be a lot of pressure on whoever that guy is to, to step up and fill the shoes of Miles Farmer come game one. But it's not on them necessarily. It's on the coaching staff as the, the next couple of weeks play out to identify that guy and make sure that guy is ready. It's less on the player and more about the coaching staff identifying the right guy and taking the necessary steps to ensure, you know what, even though you haven't been on the field all that much in the Big Ten or at all in the Big Ten, we're going to make sure that you're ready. You have your keys down. You have your assignments down for game one. We're going to make sure that everything that you need to succeed, we're going to have at your fingertips and it falls upon the coaching staff to get that guy ready. And if you're unable to get that guy ready, it falls on you to find another guy who's going to be ready to step up and fill that role for the Minnesota game. So I think whenever you look at it through that frame of mind, that's the coaching staff's job, is you're going to do everything you can to make sure that whoever it is that fills that role come August 31st, that they're ready to go. When you look at it through that lens, and I think if the coaching staff is able to to convey that to whoever it is that's going to step up and be that starting safety uh, by the end of the month, that it's on them and it's not on the player. I think you can take some pressure off a guy in that way. Another story to get into here is Nebraska guard Aaron Eulis, and he's been charged in a gambling investigation wall at Iowa. You had Eulis, a late scratch from Nebraska's three-game exhibition road trip to Spain. Uh, Despite making the trip, you had the Cedar Rapids Gazette uh, provided more clarity on why this story from on three Iowa's uh, Division of Criminal Investigation charging Eulis with tampering of records. Make that with tampering with records in its sports gambling probe at Iowa and Iowa State. According to a criminal complaint, Eulis allegedly uh, played roughly 1,850 bets with total wagers eclipsing $34,800. That's approximately about $18 a bet. The junior allegedly placed more than 740 while he was under 21 years old, the legal betting age in Iowa. So you're making bets. You're making bets as a college basketball player, and you're making college basketball. You're making college bets or bets in general uh, when you're not old enough to do so. Yeah, and whenever you think about that number, 1,850, if you're placing one bet a day. That's 365. That's Five years of betting in order to reach that point. Like that's, that's habitual gambling. And not to say that, that that should be a character fault against a person because there is this, this push. I mean, and we fall victim to it on this mm-hmm. show. I mean, we have gambling talk on this show. It is something that, that I think the habitual gambler should be talked about more in this country, the people that, that need to get some help in that sense. But you look at if you're doing one bet a day, which is still a lot of betting, five years to the tune of $34,000, that's that's up there, Schmitty. That's that's one of those numbers and, and that makes me, you, uh, that, me that's eye-opening. No, it's, it's eye-opening, and if you bet thirty four grand worth of bets, are you up, are you down, are you even? Because we get into the integrity of the game mm-hmm. part of it, and you get into pressures. You get, you, you get into outside pressures of owing money. In this instance, it's, a casino, <laughs> not 
uh, not the guy at the end of the bar, hopefully. Not not our friend Michael Franzese, who'd walk in with an envelope and say, uh, well, you just don't got to win by the spread. You just you don't got to hit every free throw. Mm. You know, um, yeah, the NCAA sports gambling guidelines, any student athlete who bets on sanctioned sports, but not their own school's games, is subject to losing half a year of eligibility. If a player bets on their school, they will potentially face permanent loss of collegiate eligibility in all sports. And you have uh, Coach Hoiberg uh, did address the status after the uh, win over Valencia uh, Wednesday. And we'll get into that just a little bit later in the show, Schmitty. Yeah. But you look at we, when we talked about the NCA guidelines about a month and a half ago on this show, whenever they dropped, you have two different allegations in here that would potentially be grounds for permanent removal mm-hmm. from NCAA. Did you bet on yourself? And, and did you bet on a team at your school, which mm-hmm. according to the report, Euless did. And then you also have, this is direct quote from the NCAA guidelines, for cumulative wagering activities that greatly exceed $800, which I believe $34,000 yes. falls into that, NCAA reinstatement staff are directed to consider whether additional loss of eligibility, including permanent ineligibility, are appropriate. So you have two different counts here that are potentially grounds for permanent removal Mm -hmm. of eligibility. So I, as it stands right now, obviously these are just allegations. They aren't uh, confirmed as of right now, but there's been no ruling. There's been no judge with the NCAA robe on saying, here's our information. We find you guilty. Yes. Here's your season. It's ripped. But, but based on the evidence, it, I would venture to say as of right now, if I was a betting man, I should, maybe I should say they're too soon a joke. Uh, but I would venture to say we're not going to see Aaron Eulis in a Husker uniform. Be pretty tough. I hope we see him in a Nebraska uniform because, listen, uh, there is the ability for everybody to to go make and place a wager. You can do it legally now in Nebraska. You can jump on an app in Iowa and get it handled. Mm-hmm. And. You, you, you've been educated ahead of time, but I, I think there needs to be a little bit of grace for 18 to 22-year-olds. And the question becomes, are they going to use this Iowa situation as an example for future athletes? Going to be teachable. Or, or are they going to say, this is so recent from the guidelines, we're not going to throw down the, the, the hammer just yet so we can you know, show people that you made these bets without the NCAA guidelines in place. We're going to be lenient because of that. But anything they're going to make an example. They're going to they're going to find a handful of people and hammer them. That's what I think. They're going to go SMU. That's why I don't think we'll ever see Aaron Eulis in Husker. Who's with us? We have Chris in line with a thought on Miles Farmer. Right, Chris, go for it. Thanks for calling. Hey, Schmitty. Hey, guys. Uh, so I, I'll just touch on a couple of things. It's been a long time since I've called you, man. So it's good to – I don't get to catch your show as often as I used to, uh, but it's, I really love hearing your voice. So um, glad to be back here. Appreciate you. Um, Hey, uh, so I agree with you on this, the gambling thing, uh, with the sense that they're going to they're going to drop the hammer on these guys. They have to set an example. Um, I don't think that there's any way they, they lob a softball on these guys. Um, they probably, I mean, it's they need to send a message. That's Agreed. just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something they got to keep away and out of the game, not of sports. Uh, the, the other thing on Miles Farmer, just my opinion, um, it's not like we're. This is Mike Brown, right? We were, exactly. we didn't lose. Mm-hmm. You know, we're losing a, like somebody who gave us some some playing time, some starts. But in real reality, like the the talent level or the you know the the competition level that we've been competing at, you know, it's like saying you know that you got this 
first in the third heat that attract me. Like, you know, I'm not saying he's not a good player, but it's like I feel better about this. Again, setting an example. These are the expectations. Mm-hmm. You missed the expectations. Now it's time for you to move on. It's just my opinion. No, very fair it. take, Chris. Appreciate the phone call and uh, the insight. Yeah, I mean, th- they could have somebody that may have taken Miles Farmer's job eventually or in camp anyway. So there's that, but the principle is the principle. You've got standards to meet. If you don't meet them, starter or not, you're not here. Mike Babcock joins us next. Hale Varsity continues, presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, Go Currency. We say hi to Mike Babcock, historian, author, and Hall of Famer at MD Babs on Twitter is where you're at. Babbers hunkered down for this fall camp as uh, the last couple of days we've had a chance to hear from uh, plenty of coaches and players, the offense tomorrow. And I want to get your, your take here first and foremost on, on just your observations with the vibe in camp. Uh, sounds pretty upbeat. And uh, Nebraska seems pretty confident, like they, they know they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, that said, uh, I think they're going to put that work in, and we'll see where it shakes out against Minnesota. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, and you're right. There's a lot of uh, – it's very upbeat, uh, very uh, very much like what we've seen when fall camp begins under new coaches, if we go back, would you agree with that? I mean, it's we're kind of always in this place where there's optimism and we feel like the team is preparing and, and, and you know, accepting the rules and trying to get better. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm here that I'll agree with that. Um, I like the things that are being said. But as I think back, I think I've heard things similar to this um, in previous years, particularly when the new coach steps in. Does it feel different to you? What's being said Um, versus the follow through potential? Yeah, it probably feels different because I'm older now than than I was then. And, uh, you know, you go through a stretch that Nebraska has gone through there and you, and you want, I think there's an element of you want to believe that it's that way because you want that program to, to get back to some semblance of being competitive in the conference. And, and uh, you know, you, you take it step by step, obviously. So you can't say you're going to be immediately nationally relevant, but competitive in the conference, that's where you want to go step by step. And I think that's, you want it to be that way, and I think uh, a lot of fans are are, are, are approaching it that way. That uh, um, kind of in the back of their mind, they want it to be that way, so they they accept it. But you know, obviously, the pieces are there, and there are some things that are being done differently that I think underscore that. And I think that you guys touched on, um, you know, uh, with with Farmer with the uh, situation there. You know, you you have to set a standard. Uh, set a, and and then hold people to that standard. I think that's important. I think the fact that they're uh, that Selleck Quadrangle is where they're uh, 
where they're spending their time when they're not on the on the football field or or uh, over on the uh, doing practicing whatever um, they're in Selick and it's not the most uh, accommodating place as some of the bigger guys have mentioned. Um, so the, you know they talk about they they want to have a little bit of discomfort and you also build have t- team building there. That's something that we haven't seen. That's a different kind of a thing. And uh, I think that can only be a positive um, because football's a rough sport and you have to you have to approach it in that way um, even when you're off the field. And I think that's kind of how they're approaching it going into fall camp the first two weeks. It's Mike Babcock with us here on Hale Varsity Radio as uh, we talk fall camp. They started fall camp, and we had uh, Tony White and Matt Rule meet with the media early, already earlier this week. And, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on the defense with what Coach Tony White had to say yesterday about trying to get this defense to play fast. And we saw this defense last year as they got a little bit more comfortable and Bill Bush took the reins of that defense. We saw them playing faster as the year went on. And I want to get your thoughts as they uh, adjust to a new scheme you got to expect that the defense is going to have to take charge uh, with this team if they want to get wins early in the season against Minnesota and against Colorado as that offense catches their rhythm. But I want to get your thoughts on what it means to play fast and what it means whenever you, you, you hear that from uh, from Coach Tony White. Do you think that's possible in year one of a defense? Um, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, Husker speed is what we're talking about now, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's, the, that's the term there and. When Tony White showed up for the interview yesterday, he was sweating and he said he needed to, to work on his uh, speed and <laughs> running ability because the coaches are expected to be running up and down the field too uh, during practice in, in the station. So, um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's important. One of the things, and I want to put a historical context on this, one of the things that led to the three national championships in four seasons for Tom Osborne was – the decision that he made that, hey, we need more speed on defense, okay, so that you had guys that um, you had Ed Stewart who was recruited as a a defensive back and they move him to linebacker because they wanted that speed. Now, the one thing that you have to look at in a situation is can you get that speed with the physicality that's required to play in the Big Ten because you've got to be physical and you've got to be able to stop the run on defense, and you've got to be able to run the ball on offense. Can you combine the two? Can you get the speed, and can you get the uh, uh, the ability to play physical enough uh, to be successful in the Big Ten? That's that would be my one question. But I think they've recruited speed. You know that that's an emphasis. Uh, Matt Rule early on talked about how they'd even look at looked at some track and field guys, some track guys, some guys that could run that weren't necessarily highly recruited as football players, but they they had speed and they could bring them in and they could train them and they, they could teach them how to do what it was that needed to be done. So I think it's a priority and I think it can happen, but you've got to have that physicality to play in the Big Ten as well. Mike, just how difficult a combo – is that going to be to recreate in 2023? Well, you know, like we've talked before, I don't know how much immediate success you can expect. You know, it's a step-by-step process. And I look at it as, you know, hey, maybe this may be the season where we learn what's possible 
we see it, we see it in glimpses of it. And then we look at the second season and the big jump that the team makes because of what's happened with recruiting and what uh, Coach Rule and his staff have established as far as expectations go. Um, so maybe we don't see it entirely. We see glimpses of it in the 2023 season, but we don't see the full uh, measure of what it's going to be. Um, because, again, I don't know that you just turn things around immediately the, where Nebraska has been and where you want it to go. But I think you're going to get glimpses of that. And, uh, you know, how those glimpses translate into wins and losses, we'll see. Mike Babcock's with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. And, Mike, let's flip it around to some of the things we heard on Monday from the offensive side of the ball. And the, the quote that I think stuck with a lot of people was Billy Kemp talking about the, the potential of this offense and how good they can be, saying he thought they could be one of the top offenses in the country with the talent and the, the coaching staff you have there. And simply put, Mike, there's a lot of unproven talent on that offensive side of the ball. We've seen flashes from guys like Xavier Betts. Uh, we've seen Billy Kemp at another school have some flashes. Malachi Coleman looks like a guy who could step in and be great. Fedoni, we've heard great things about, but we've never quite seen it on the field because of the injuries in the offensive line. We've heard about all the things that they can do and, and how they've gotten better this offseason, but we haven't seen it on the field just yet. And you could say the same about the quarterback position with Jeff Sims. You've seen it at a different school, but you haven't seen it on the field for Nebraska just yet. The running back position, probably the one group on that offense where you have a known commodity. So I want to get your thoughts on on Billy Kemp coming in right out in the first day of fall camp and saying, you know what, we think we have the pieces to be one of the top offenses in the country. Do you think it's premature to say that? Um, no, I don't think it's premature. The, the part I like about it is that Billy Kemp, the fourth is a new player. He's here, and now he's saying these things already. Um, he's, it's almost like he's an outside, outside observer that's saying these kinds of things. The other thing I like is that, that – uh, uh, Sims comes in new quarterback and and he's a guy that uh, he's one of the guys that they take to to Big Ten media days. You know the, how he is immediately fit in and what he has said about the team, what he sees uh, about those players that are around him. So that new guys come in and they say things you might expect guys that have been here maybe to see some of these things, but guys that haven't been here and they come in and they see it right away. I think that's a positive, and that's where I think Kemp, uh, Kemp's remarks are reason for optimism because he says these things not having been there. He's, he's, you know, he's been here for a brief time, uh, relatively speaking, and he's seen what he thinks is a, is, a, is a positive situation. Plus, everything we've heard about him, he's a, he's a grinder. He's a feisty player uh, for his size. Never mind that. He's a tough guy. Mike, I want to go to the defensive line and thoughts from you on on Polar Bear and Ty Robinson, just kind of their uh, their reshaping, but also their their mentality coming into this season. Yeah, when those guys walked in to do the interviews, it looked like a couple of guys walking together. They're they're pretty good size. They're pretty good sized guys, um, you know, and and. and uh, Buckley talking yesterday as well about those guys up front, Huttmacher, Robinson, uh, Buckley, and, and uh, uh, Gunnarsson. Um, it sounds like they're providing the kind of leadership that you want. You know, they're being demanding of those around them. They're trying to bring everybody up to the level that needs to be there. They're, you know, the leadership 
I guess, is such an important thing. Um, again, with a new staff, you've got to have some leadership within the team, I think. And those are, those are guys that are obviously providing that uh, for the defense across the board, but, you know, particularly up front. Mike, uh, real quick, we've got about uh, 60 seconds, not long enough, but how does expansion grab you potentially in the Big Ten if it's four more from the Pac-12? Oh, gosh, this thing has got – if you bring four more, you've almost created uh, two conferences. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, that's, that's kind of the bottom line. But the way they're crossing over, you're going to be playing everybody. So, um, you know, why don't you just make two, two sides of the conference and have them play for a conference championship? It, it's the way of the world, I guess. I mean – Eventually, you wonder if these conferences are going to dissolve. They're going to be so big as all going to be one conference, all the teams in it. So um, how are you going to work that? But, uh, yeah, it, it's got my head spinning. Mike, appreciate you much, bud. Thanks for jumping on today. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is. Mr. Husker Football, historian, author, Hall of Famer. Find him on Twitter at MDBabs. Mike Babcock with us. Some more thoughts on gambling and some expansion. Evan Bland also coming up here in hour two. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Wednesday here on Hale Varsity Radio. We are presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency as we uh, shift gears here and welcome Chris Schmidt back into the, uh, the captain's chair. Brother, that is a first time in my life of 4 three forty. Down the hall. I don't believe you one bit. Okay, four nine. <laughs> so five three. In flip flops, give me give me sub sub six. <laughs> sub six. So a lot to get into. We we touched on gambling and what's been going on and let's let's circle back to that. Four eight nine twelve forty. Four eight nine twelve forty, the number to get in, Chris at Hailvarsity dot com is uh, where you can email as well. But uh, the topic of Ulysses and uh, you have Hoiberg commenting after Nebraska's uh, game in Spain earlier today. And you had Hoiberg saying, look, I wasn't aware of Ulysses' situation when he committed May 1st. But they did learn about a potential eligibility issue shortly after Ulysses signed. The staff didn't know of any potential legal charges until today. And you have Hoiberg said Nebraska has been cooperative with its compliance department in the NCAA throughout the process. That will be uh, will continue until a resolution is found. Uh, and, uh, and more from Fred here, the quote, we have no idea when this will all be resolved. We'll continue to cooperate as well as we can through this. Now, Euless going to continue to practice with the Huskers until more info surfaces. Nebraska also uh, we'll keep looking for potential additions with its remaining scholarships. So Nebraska's trying to do right by the kid. If he's able to play, great. If not, you need uh, someone of his caliber to uh, to be able to handle the basketball. But uh, it's just a tough situation. If you're just catching up, maybe you saw it on social media, but Iowa transfer to Nebraska, Aaron Euless. Uh, a late scratch from Nebraska's three exhibition games in Spain despite making the trip. You have 
the Cedar Rapids Gazette uh, Wednesday, providing more clarity as to why. And uh, you have the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation charged Euless with tampering with records in its sports gambling probe in Iowa and Iowa State. You have a situation, too, with uh, Iowa State's quarterback. And again, what's the what's the reality here? What's the tip of the iceberg with college athletes in states that allow sports gambling? You've seen a, a slew of, of folks at Iowa let go within the athletic administration because as part of that, you can't really, you're not allowed to bet. And you're sure as hell not allowed to bet for or against Iowa. Uh, or in this instance, you have a situation with the Iowa State quarterback, where there was avid evidence of a wager placed uh, with Iowa State v. Oklahoma State back in 2021, I believe. So that's a, a situation, and you can jump on an app and, and do gaming. Listen, we we like sports gambling. Uh, we've not been above taking dollars from an advertising standpoint. We do the Friday forecast every year, every every Friday, where there's a line put down and we do a pick 'em. There's no skittles involved. Elijah and I aren't betting. We do a lot of steak and beer bets, which are which are fun. Almost never capitalized we, upon. We, yeah, so we're both Welchers, okay. <laughs> but this is this is serious because it can absolutely the way the NCAA is reading this and the way that we presume they're going to hand down punishment, kids are going to lose their eligibility. And that was a danger going in. The education I do believe has been there, has been there from coaches and athletic departments and universities till they're blue in the face. Uh, but in, in Ulysses alleged situation, you had 34 grand in total amount being bet. How many total bets? Uh, over 1,800. Yeah, 1,800 total bets. And again, I'm not like judging him. I just know that that's not allowed with what he's doing under scholarship. I mean, in all the time I have worked for you, Schmitty, which is f- almost five years now, I don't think we've ever discussed across our, our segment with Danny, across our Friday forecast, 1,800 individual games. Do you know how many? That's so many per week. And is it is it a dime? Is it half a dime? Is it fifty bucks? Five? You know what's what's the number here? Let's go to the phones real quick. We have Artez on the line. Artez Craig with us. Artez, how are we doing? I'm doing great, man. I got a question. Now, is there legal betting in Nebraska sports? It is betting? now. It is now legal. There is not legal betting using an app. You have to go to the sports book to place a bet. Elijah, you just did that on on Saturday. Afternoon. On Saturday, you bet on Crawford. Yes, I did. So how many how many schools in the Big Ten have in this particular state to have legal betting? Just well, we know, know we know we know Iowa does. I think there's legal gambling in, in Illinois. Fair. Yeah, you have gambling in Illinois. Uh, it's now legal in Nebraska. We go through the rest of the Big Ten. Not sure about Indiana. I didn't yeah. see any. I mean, this this is really getting out of control. I mean, I mean, at least in Iowa, obviously, it is with the quarterback. And you got the kicker a year ago or something, some kicker in Iowa. Mm. He's in trouble right now for gambling. He actually gambled in Iowa, Iowa State game, mm. and he was kicking. So, yeah, yeah this hope... is crazy. Well, and, and I got to ask you, Artez, I mean, it's a different era and day and age 
from yeah. uh, the Michael Franzises of the world finding three or four players in a club and putting uh, ten grand in an envelope on the table. This is right, exactly. this is so. Hey, uh, from an entertainment standpoint, that's how it's been shifted and tw- I don't want to say twisted, but it's been shifted that way. Where, hey, have some have some extra interest and fun on the game, right? right. Make you know do it legally versus your friend who tends bar down the street. Well, the NIL. I mean, think about you know basically those teams in the Southwest Conference back in the day. They already had their NIL. They, <laughs> they're fan those guys, and I mean yeah. you know the SMU's and Oklahoma's and whoever else in Texas back in the day. They they already had the NIL. Now it's just legal now. So it's crazy that all this stuff is going on in college football. And it upon, is. upon doing some research, the only state in the Big Ten currently in the Big Ten, I should say, where sports gambling is not legal is Wisconsin, but it is illegal. Uh, on Native American land, and then whenever California joins the conference, it's not legal in California, but in all other Big Ten states, sports gambling is legal. Mm. Oh, okay, now I see, yeah. Uh, Changing the subject, uh, August 27th, I guess we'll find out if my brother makes the Hall of Famer. That'll be great. Roger's got to be super excited. It's been a while since we've talked to Roger. Always loved our chats around Super Bowl time and talking Big Red. How do you feel as part of the Craig family, Artez? I just we're excited. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's 12, 12 finalists, and they're going to pick three guys. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I've i talking to Roger about it, but he doesn't. I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Just keep our fingers crossed. He, he's he's had to be frustrated, but absolutely proud of his career. Incredible, game breaking, oh, game changing running back. No. Well, uh, Hus- we'll, we'll see what happens. Husker Nation's yeah, behind I, the Craig family. I, yeah. that. I mean, I know what he needs to do to get in, but we'll see what happens. Well, we're hoping for you for sure, and uh, it'd be great to have Roger in the hall. Uh, much deserved, long, long overdue. You got a prediction? Well, you have a good day. Me too. Uh, just, uh, I'm out and about, but you have a great day, and uh, go Big Red. All right, there he is, Artez. Phone in this. Love hearing from Artez. And one quick note, Minnesota, another state where sports gambling is not legal. Minnesota and Wisconsin. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, we'll spend time with Evan Bland. Coming up next hour, we'll tackle Nebraska so far so good through camp. And uh, tomorrow, Coach Satterfield, Coach Barthel, going to chime in. You have uh, a lot of folks here in the stream, Hale Varsity YouTube channel is uh, where you can watch the show, make comments. Also, your phone calls, 489-1240. Emails we'll get to as well. But Dylan chimes in. I think the online sports book is a lot to blame for Iowans' problems with their athletes. Just makes it way too accessible. It opens the door for underage betting. You know, if you have a situation where you got it, the way I read that with the on, on three report, is you you have to to be twenty one to legally bet in Iowa? Is that fair? Yes. Right. Twenty yeah. one's the age, and if you're making bets and you have false identification to make bets, that's part of the manipulation here. Part of those charges, because if you're the casino and, and you're winning and someone's betting underage, you sure as hell aren't legally obligated to pay out the winnings, mm-hmm. and you're breaking the law. Yeah. So. There's that crew with uh, the steel chair off the top rope. Uh, Brian probably was in on the betting as well. 
NCAA needs to look at that. Take the under. <laughs> Take the under. That's the explanation for the, what, 17 points per game. And and, and <laughs> Coach, Coach Ferentz, <laughs> like, that's what he started talking about with this whole Iowa gambling probe was, hey, the whole unders thing, I, I wish it was true, but it's not. I mean, he was just like, look, our offense is that bad. <laughs> now, it'll be different with what they got coming up at quarterback in, um, in I get him confused, McCarthy or McNamara? McNamara. Thank you. Yeah, you have one uh, former admiral of the Navy's last name. McCarthy's the the JJ the uh, the 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 guy who succeeded McCarthy, but uh, I I got a I need a seating chart. I think it's funny that that's the first place your mind goes trying to differentiate the two. Is the military? Yeah, you go. It's the Vietnam War. We have McCarthyism. <laughs> <laughs> we have General McNamara. Yeah. Well, you know, call me an old history nut. <laughs> Back in the day, Evan Bland will walk us through some football. Cob it up. Reminder for you to uh, to get buckled up. Uh, do so today as, you know, you drink, you drive, you lose. And uh, seatbelts will keep you protected, keep you alive. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Uh, so keep that in mind when you're out and about. Uh, plenty to talk about with Evan. And reminder about the podcast can Check that out. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all three ways to go to each platform and download the segment you want to hear or just download uh, the entire show to take with you. Can do so. Can catch the replay, as always, on the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. And, uh, yes, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Check that out. Facebook and Twitter also with KFOR, wherever you hear us across the Hale Varsity Radio Network, uh, 800-825-5865. That is toll-free for you. Uh, you have Greg in Michigan chiming in. It's so easy here in Michigan using one's phone mm-hmm. to place bets on anything and everything. So 1,800 bets ain't that many, in my opinion. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's a large number. Is it because you're rolling or you're chasing it? Evan Bland next, Hour 2 with Hale Varsity continues. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency into Hour 2. We say hi to Evan Bland with the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland OWH on Twitter's where you find him. Evan, uh, last time we did this, it was, well, Radio Roadside in Indy. How you doing? How's the week been? Good, yeah, no uh, no cameos behind us today, just a good old-fashioned phoner, but good to be back. It is, and a lot going on. We'll start off with Nebraska camp and the news coming out earlier on safety Miles Farmer entering the transfer portal. Got up in the air, obviously, to start camp with Coach Rule Monday laying out uh, Miles Farmer's suspension, and now we have um, resolution, but not necessarily the resolution 
uh, you want with a guy that's as experienced in Nebraska's secondary as Miles Farmer? Where do you think Nebraska can turn? Yeah, I mean, obviously not an ideal situation for a guy who has essentially been a starter at safety for the last year and a half. Uh, you know, the game that he missed last year at Michigan, I mean, they felt that absence. I mean, they weren't going to win the, the game anyway, but uh, I mean, he's been a key piece of what they've been a part of. I would say that of all the position groups on the team, the, the secondary is probably one where you feel like you could absorb uh, some attrition in this fashion with Miles Farmer heading into the portal. I mean, you look at what they have back at corner with Malcolm Hartzog and Quentin Newsom, Tommy Hills back there, uh, Marquise Buford when he gets up to speed from his knee injuries back. And then you have a whole bunch of guys who you kind of look at and, and, and could envision in bigger roles, whether that's Omar Brown or uh, Javier Morton, uh, Corey Collier, you can kind of go down the line. Phelan Stanford is somebody uh, who's played well back there, too. So, uh, you know, not something that you'd like to see, but something where I think Nebraska can fill in behind him. And, you know, this was something to Nebraska's credit that they were very transparent about. Matt Rule on Monday pretty much laid out there that there was no big single thing that Miles Farmer did wrong. It was just somebody who wasn't meeting the standards set by this staff. And, and he, as he said, the ball was in Farmer's court. Uh, he elected to go into the portal. And so I think it's uh, maybe one of those situations where, um, you know, the standard was clear and Miles Farmer didn't want to meet it. So you, you wish him good luck at his next stop. But I think you also tip your hat to Nebraska in, in, in sort of defining the situation and, and setting up to where nobody was maybe confused or deceived, but it was just what it was, and he chose to go another way. It's Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald, Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, whenever you look at Miles Farmer, I mean, two-time Tom Osborne citizenship team, uh, he, he was a guy that, as you kind of laid out, played some good football for Nebraska, and now he's into the transfer portal, and I'm sure he's going to be a guy that a, a lot of schools around the country could be interested in with how much Big Ten football he has played. And, and it's rare to see a guy enter the transfer portal this late in the process as, as many teams around the country begin fall camp. Do you see him finding a landing spot before the season gets underway and, and finding a spot where he could be immediately eligible, or do you think this is uh, going to be a situation where teams like what they have right now and... and they'll wait and see maybe for after the season to find a landing spot for Miles Farmer. It's not something that we see all that often, and I don't expect you to have the the answer off the top of your head, but what do you think we could be seeing here? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's so many different situations out there, so many different schools. Certainly you would think that there's somebody who could use an experienced Big Ten starter to come in and, uh, you know, if nothing else, sort of just kind of play off the cuff a little bit because you're not going to be up to speed with – the schemes or even who your teammates' names are at this point. Um, you know, I think the most obvious place that you'd probably check in with first if you're Miles Farmer is Travis Fisher, your former Nebraska DBs coach out at Syracuse now. I mean, he uh, Fisher was somebody who, if you think back to his recruitment back in 2019, he was uh, Fisher identified Farmer as, as sort of a low three-star kid out of Atlanta, somebody who didn't have, I don't believe, many other Power 5 offers really to speak of, and he became, as we said, one of the better defenders for Nebraska the last couple of seasons. So he's, uh, you know, that's somebody I would think you would start with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, beyond that, a lot of circumstances, maybe Miles Harmer wants to go back closer to home, somewhere in the southeast. Maybe it's just playing time. Maybe he uh, trains and, and sits out. I believe he has a, a redshirt year to utilize, um, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of ways that he can go, but 
um, you know, again, just I think the clear standards that Nebraska set um, it's through the off season and into fall camp made it clear to him that he was ready to go somewhere else. And, you know, I, I would say still credit to him and to Nebraska for uh, not trying to kind of fake it or make it work if, if it's not going to um, and, and, and cutting bait now and moving forward their separate ways. Evan Bland with his Hale Varsity Radio. Evan, want to get into your impressions of, of Coach White, his presser yesterday, and then a number of defensive players the last two days stepped up and talked a little bit about their offseason and the early part of camp. What's your feel on, on youth movement? You've got a handful of seniors, guys that have been in this program for a while, or maybe they're not seniors, but they've been a part of Nebraska. You've also got some talented young guys. And I'm interested to, to gauge your thoughts on just how soon or how comfortable Nebraska may be in going with some of those young guys in big moments, in big situations. Yeah, it's an interesting blend because, and we heard it this week from some of the guys where they're saying, yeah, I mean, you look at the veterans on the defense, the the Nick Henriches, the Luke Reimers, the Ty Robinsons, the Quentin Newsoms, like some of those guys have been some of the loudest, uh, you know, supporters or encouragers, I would, I guess, leaders in the early stages of fall camp. And that's not always the case, right? It's no guarantee that a holdover player with a new staff is going to buy in or, or be interested or whatever. And it seems like that has been the case. Um, you know, I thought what Tony White said on Tuesday about uh, how many players they want to play on defense was interesting. You know, he, he didn't want to put a number on it. And you, you look at Nebraska the last few years, it's been – you know, 12, 13, 14 guys. I mean, they essentially stuck with the same players in the secondary unless an injury cropped up. Uh, Same thing for the most part at linebacker. And so their message has been, if you're able to go, then we're going to get you out there and and get you a chance. And so that's part of the reason why this month is so fascinating is that you do have sort of those handful of guys who you're pretty confident are going to play major roles. But then you also have sort of the – you know, a handful of potential starters and then key rotation players that you don't really know how that's going to turn out. I mean, we heard from Ruquan Buckley at defensive line. That was a name that really hasn't come up a lot in the last year. And he's up there talking with, with reporters and about how his body has changed and how he could be, you know, a quality depth piece for this line that's going to need some new bodies moving on from last season. So, like, that's somebody, Blaze Gunnarsson's working at defensive end. He's been around, but he hasn't maybe been on the field because of injury or whatnot uh, as much as he would like. And then you think about the spring with Cam Lenhart. I mean, that's probably the name that's come up the most, the true freshman defensive lineman for what he's done as a pass rusher. Principal Uman Yellen, same sort of deal, uh, really high ceiling, but you just wonder as freshmen how much they're going to be able to, to stay out there and, and endure the wear and tear of the Big Ten. So I, I think that's really, especially along the defensive line, is where I'm going to be interested to see what kind of opportunities they give guys. Because, again, beyond Ty Robinson, it's a group of guys who are transfers or uh, you know junior college additions, freshmen, how they sort of parse that out in this next month will be fascinating. And then beyond that, who maybe can gain some traction during the season? Because I, I, I wonder, you know, if you can get it right heading into the first game and, and I'll be curious to see if whether their lineup at Minnesota is the same a month after that, or if some other guys eventually emerge as the season goes on. 
Evan, you kind of laid it out there for us just briefly, especially on the defensive line, but but take me through some guys that you think could be candidates to, to burn a red shirt this year, guys that may hit that four-game limit on the defensive side of the ball specifically, and, and uh, guys that we might be talking about here in a couple months in terms of are they going to get that fourth game or are they going to keep their red shirt? Name me some of those guys that you think we should be looking out for as the, the next weeks and months progress. Well, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned the two freshmen, Principal Uman Miel and Cam Lenhart. I think those are two names that you have to look at pretty closely, not just because of their abilities, but also because of how that's a position of need where they just need guys to, to fill in after the attrition that they had there in the off season. You know, uh, Eric Fields, his name came up as a rover for the first time on Tuesday. I thought that was interesting. He came in as a linebacker. And so that rover spot sort of is what you would have called a nickel last year, sort of combining that safety and linebacker position. Um, So that got my attention is somebody maybe behind Isaac Gifford who could get some run. Um, You know, beyond that, it's hard to say, like you don't, you tend to not rely on linemen, uh, especially as true freshmen. You kind of need some time to build them up. Uh, and then you kind of look, generally speaking, at some of the skill spots, right? Like you see you, every year in college football, you see a running back or, or receiver break out as freshmen. I don't know that that'll be the case uh, at Nebraska, at, at running back at least. I think you have some veteran guys there. But I do think at, at receiver, there's opportunity beyond some of the, the guys at the top, Marcus Washington, Billy Kemp, and, and Xavier Betts. Um, you know, Malachi Coleman's name has come up quite a bit. I think Jaden Doss is an interesting prospect who maybe could jump out there right away. And then, you know, if you're talking specialist, I think Tristan Alvano, uh, as a true freshman, could come in as the kicker right away. I mean, we saw him in the open part of practice early this week, uh, just looked, he was a smooth operator, man. I mean, he was, he was hitting from 40 and 50 and, and just some of the few swings that we saw him take. And of course, everyone knows what he did in high school. So, um, you know, I think that's probably where you start and then you sort of figure it out, right? Like you have that four game red shirt rule to uh, put some guys out there and maybe uh, in some instances they show you something. Um, and of course injuries crop up as well, but I think those are the handful that I'd be looking at heading at least into the opener. Evan, going to switch gears and ask you about Big Ten expansion. We dove into it a little bit with Trev last week. Yeah, you have some murmurs out there about Oregon in Washington. Uh, two more schools have been added to that list. You still have a a mess with the, the Pac-12, and it, it sounds like you've got the uh, obviously Colorado's bolting for back to the Big Twelve. You have Arizona uh, and what they're looking at. Uh, you would presume Arizona State's involved with that. I don't know how much Utah hates BYU, but if I'm Utah, I'd follow my way out of the Pac-12 into the Big uh, the, the, the the Big 12. So Stanford and, and, and Cal are the two schools that we've heard today and read today that could partner with Oregon and Washington. How do those four grab you? For the Big Ten, I get the Oregon brand. I know Washington's history in the Seattle market. I don't know that Cal or Stanford honestly give a damn about football, but man, they're incredible <laughs> academic institutions. So, do you like those four, or would you? I don't know. What's your wish list? Give me, give me some schools you'd like to to see picked up and added on uh, for the Big Ten. <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, I I kind of like to see what a season at 16 is like. You know, I, it seems less and less likely now that we 
are going to get that 24 season where divisions go away and you have 16 with USC and UCLA. Um, I think that would be interesting. But as you said, and as you laid out, like the, the, the tectonic plates continue to shift with conference realignment. And, uh, you know, the big 10 has made it pretty clear, at least through some of its, uh, you know, side conversations with national writers that they don't want to be viewed as predatory. They don't want to be hunting Oregon and Washington, so to speak. But if the situation dictates and the, and the Pac-12 falls apart, uh, yeah, I think the Big Ten would be a logical landing spot, something that they would embrace. Um, you know, there were national reports that a few uh, Big Ten presidents were sort of discussing this and that the commissioner, Tony Petiti is, has done sort of his due diligence on some of those schools as well. The money part of it is fascinating to me because, you know, from everything that we've heard in the last year about the value of those teams from a TV perspective, uh, you know, Fox and, and CBS and, and NBC are not going to pay, you know, tens of millions of extra dollars um, to, to include those teams in their revenue. So you would think, that the existing Big Ten teams would it would be asked to either take a pay cut, or you would have to bring in those other schools at a pretty steep discount. Maybe sort of like Nebraska was when they came into the Big Ten, and it took them a number of years to become you know full share members. So uh, you know a lot of a lot of moving parts, man. A lot of stuff behind the scenes. We're less than a month from actual football games, and it just it feels like. Um, you know, the football is the part that's not talked about until the games start, which is just kind of the state of things as it is. But, yeah, I mean, if you if you think the Big Ten going to 18 or 20, 20 teams in the next year or two, um, I'd be curious to know what that looks like. I don't think you could keep that as one big blob, right? I think you'd have to have two divisions or maybe conferences within a conference if you went to 20. So the Big Ten just spent months and months figuring out how to integrate USC and UCLA into their scheduling. Um, it'd be really fascinating if all that effort goes for naught and they end up expanding again. Evan Bland, a few more minutes with him. He'll continue on next segment with us. A quick timeout with Evan. Find him on Twitter at Evan Bland O W H. And uh, we'll spend some time here before our jock doc beating up the pros and cons of Big Ten expansion. Uh, what do you like? What do you? Not like, do you like the teams that are <laughs> rumored to be part of this discussion point? I, I, I love the idea of Florida State and Clemson. There's been a salvo lobbed uh, from Florida State. We need to be ready to move by 2025. So we'll see if they get a better portion of the money or they're pulling a, a Peaky Blinders, where you've got the grenade pin pulled. More with Evan continues on a tale of our city presented by Currency. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald, Hail Varsity Radio. And Evan, I sit here and I hear about conferences of 20, maybe eventually conferences of 24, and it, it just feels so different from the college sports that I grew up knowing and loving, but I also don't think I can bemoan it being a, a guy, you know, in Nebraska with, with Nebraska being in the Big Ten. I don't think you can bemoan that because Nebraska is kind of what kicked off this era of conference expansion. The Big Ten's really the big culprit of, of conferences losing their, their regionality, right? Yeah, I mean, Nebraska was certainly one of the big pieces, uh, you know, a decade plus ago now when they decided to make that move, and 
I think when you look back at what Nebraska did, it was really it was less about running to the Big Ten and it was more about running away from the Big Twelve and and sort of uh, you know the Texas influence and all that. And I, I think it's with the benefit of hindsight and, and history in the last ten plus years, I do think that there's no doubt that Nebraska made the right move and, and certainly they're in an enviable position. They are in one of the two power leagues right now. Um, you know, the, their checks continue to, to clear um, from the conferences when you're talking about, you know, 60, 70, $80 million a year coming in from TV money. But I do think it's appropriate in this moment as a college football fan to, to sort of lament what it's become because it's certainly Nebraska is going to be in games that matter and, and in a conference that matters. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate because there are going to be whole parts of the country now that uh, are going to feel sort of like the sports, um, you know, a second-rate deal for them. You know, I, the Pac-12 has not succeeded um, at the national level in terms of college football playoff appearances and things like that. But that conference has an important part in this sports history. And it's, it's a shame if that conference goes away and you have these, these, you know, classic brands folded into these sort of you know, national conferences. I, I understand that's where it's going and that's where the money is, but I do think it's, it's a shame. And, and I also think it's, it's unfair in some ways to some of these other schools like the Washington States and the, um, you know, the, the cows of the world where, yeah, they're not maybe the, the preferred brand, but those schools have a lot of value in, in their own rights. And, and I do kind of feel for some of their fan bases and alums where, um, you know, what once was a much more maybe level playing field is clearly starting to stack in now in toward this power two format. Evan, as we get you out of here, you have a couple of different stories. You have a, a gambling probe with Iowa State's quarterback. You have news on Nebraska guard Aaron Euless facing charges in a gambling probe probe involving his time at Iowa. And and I know gambling just got brought in legally to the state of Nebraska. Do you worry about this, that there's just this tip of the iceberg where you can go down the list at schools and maybe you have a, a lot of nervous schools? I don't want to be an alarmist here, but guys betting on uh, their team, uh, the old Pete Rose story, maybe you didn't bet, mm-hmm. maybe that's a signal. How how deep is this potential iceberg, in your opinion? And then we know what kind of pain it's been for both schools in Iowa. Right. Well, and, and the Euless thing remains to be seen, kind of what those bets looked like. Was he doing daily fantasy? Was he betting on his own team specifically? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those details that have to come out. I think, you know, there's there's a few pretty black and white rules, right? Like you don't, you're not going to bet on your own team. That's a big no-no. Uh, point shaving, all of that sort of thing. But you know, in the big picture, man, like it, that, it, the world's changing. Like the, these allegations and these investigations of what's going on at Iowa 20 years ago was a much bigger deal, uh, or felt at least like a much bigger deal than it does now. Um, for a lot of reasons, that's just the way the world's going. There's, you can't turn on a, an NFL game on a Sunday without seeing a DraftKings or a FanDuel ad. You can't, um, you know, watch a, a college game day or or big noon pregame without looking at betting lines, which are part of the shows now. And so, uh, we heard about it. I think even from some coaches at Media Days last week, where uh, it's a reminder that 
There needs to be a bigger education piece, I think, for players. The ease with which anybody can bet now through an app is is much different than it was even just a few years ago. So I think you have to look at that. But I will be curious to see what the punishment is in this situation out of Iowa because, you know, again, as Kirk Ferentz said last week, like you would hope the punishment sort of fits the – the, the the culture that we're in right now and the, and the culture is um, very much pro gambling college professional so again I think outside of betting against your own or betting for or whatever on your own team I think there's a lot of gray area there and a lot of area where if you're in a position um, to, to to judge these guys you have to look pretty hard at yourself too and say how how in bed are we as a school or as a sport uh, with gambling situations, and then how hard do we want to come down on players that want to get a, a piece of that as well? Yeah, you can't take the gambling advertising dollars and then turn around and hammer a kid for for betting all for falling victim to the gambling advertising. Sure, right. I mean, you got to be responsible. I think a suspension's probably in order, but don't don't absolutely take the game away from them. Give them a pretty stern, stiff warning. Maybe a game, maybe two. And don't do it again, son. Right? I mean, uh, that you know that would be that would be my hope. Evan, great to run you down and spend a few minutes. Thanks for the time today. You got it, guys. Thanks. Good to spend time with Evan Bland and what we prescribe to happen—a stern punishment versus reality. Uh, if things are followed up on and proven. You got a lot of guys that are going to lose uh, some eligibility. Elijah, you got a few minutes here. Let's get back into conference expansion. The fascination is real. Things uh, got kicked off with expansion because 13 years ago, Missouri, Missouri, Missouri wanted to get to the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska ended up in the Big Ten, and you had AM, you had Colorado. You had Nebraska, and, and you've had all sorts of U-Hauls making their way, and now Hollywood's uh, making their way to the Big Ten here in short order. The way you frame that's just so funny. 13 years ago, Missouri wanted to get into the Big Ten, so what does the Big Ten do? They had Nebraska. <laughs> well, that's what happened. <laughs> Sorry, Missouri. That is that is the history lesson with it. And, okay, the Pac-12 is a nightmare. The Pac-12 is going to get raided. The question is, is who do you take? Who do you want? Who helps you out? You've got a seven-year, $8 billion deal. Are you going to take a pay cut if you're some of the Big Ten teams to add? You may not have to if you take partial membership or at least partial payment for membership eventually, and that's the number you, you get until it's time to renegotiate another TV deal in eight years. Some is better than none. Okay, so Washington and Oregon, I'm good with. I think that makes sense from a from a brand and a football and an athletics standpoint. The Big Ten's about academics. That's why Stanford and Cal are part of this discussion. I know it's the Pacific Northwest. I know it's the Bay Area, and the Bay Area is different than La La Land. But overall, California, specifically Cal and Stanford, they have not had people show up, and they've had good teams. They've had teams that have been in the top 10. It's been a while for Cal, but it wasn't too long ago Aaron Rodgers was 
working that bowl cut around the uh, the 40-yard line, well, throwing touchdowns. And uh, Marshawn Lynch, beast, beast Mode, was doing his thing. Stanford in the Andrew Luck era with Harbaugh, fantastic. And let's also note something here. It's not all about on-field success. The Big Ten added Rutgers, for crying out loud. That, Why that, did- that was a market. That was New York City or, or in the proximity from a, back when cable subscribers mattered. Yeah, I mean, cable subscribers still still They, they still matter. They still do, but it's... It's, it's shifted now. It's streaming. It matters less, but look at who the do Big Ten deals have cable? are with. Look at who the Big Ten's deals are with. They're with NBC, CBS, Fox. Mm-hmm. Over those, the air. Those are still over the air channels. Mm-hmm. And can you find them on streaming if you have YouTube sure. TV? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's still about those cable subscribers in a way. So it's not all about on-field success. I personally don't think I see value in adding yeah, Stanford you, you got, you got, well, yeah, Stanford brand. I mean, Cal's brand is, is pretty high level in the world of academia. And that, guess what? That might be the deal you're having to make if you're the Big Ten. And you want to say, uh, from a football prowess standpoint, you can't not add Washington and Oregon. And to get those two in, you got to take the smart kids to appease the academic side. So do you add four? How much do you think the academic side actually needs to be appeased? That's my question. Whenever, look, whenever, at, look at the COVID era, dude. But look at the amount of money being thrown around by these major TV markets. These major well, TV. The, the, if you're not adding value to them, I think that trumps what the academic people want. You got to add value. You got to be able to not take off of the plate, but but add more to the plate. And you can't go renegotiate. And what what are these networks willing to do if you add more? It's it's maybe a, a good matchup of. SC and Stanford, those games have been pretty good historically, but is it gonna gonna make the advertisers spend more? Are they gonna be are they willing to go back into their pocket for two more teams, for four more teams? Or do you just all right, we gotta pay up to four more teams and no one gets any more more any more money coming in. Now you have research grant dollars um, that are billions of dollars that that the, the Big Ten is swimming in you have that tenfold with stanford and their endowment Mm -hmm. and their their tech savviness and how smart and world leading stanford is same with cal when you look at the the mathematics program at cal and all the smart scientists go watch oppenheimer (laughs) (laughs) somebody somebody that's wrote about seven books and has an alphabet after their name probably attended berkeley at some point but i'd from a football standpoint, I think it's 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 an obvious no brainer to go get and and exp- go go expand into the southeast footprint. Do you stop? Do you take the four leftovers, Cal, Stanford, Washington, Oregon, and then do you go get two more? Do you go get North Carolina? Do you go get Florida State? Do you go get Duke? Do you go get Clemson? And the question there, I think, is how much of a roadblock is that current ACC media deal? How much of a roadblock is that going to be? I mean, they're going to get the hell suit out of them if they leave because their media rights grant is pretty extended. Isn't it to 2035? Yeah. And that's the argument for Stanford and Cal. I think if you're just talking football dollars and cents, what you can bring to a football conference and an athletic conference as a whole, you go ACC. But I think the big question that remains with the ACC is how big of a roadblock is that current TV media rights deal and how much of a hassle is it going to be to get those teams out of the conference? I think in, well, in, 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 in who, world, is, is the university paying for it? Is the league going to help pay the exit fees? That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows? 
We'll talk football and ankle injuries. A jock doc's on the way. Good to have you. On a Wednesday, it's Hale Varsity, and we're presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert back with us. Dr. Brandon, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Chris. How was your adventure out to the Big Ten? It was good, and the uh, the cocktail sauce did not disappoint. It won. It won the fourth quarter. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, it was <laughs> it was good at the time, Dr. Brandon. Cincinnati is trying to kind of keep this this heater going. We were all horrified about Joe Burrow, and it was just a, a calf issue. So that's the good news, but. Uh, since he's pretty thin at, at running back, Travion Williams, uh, one of the guys fighting for that top backup spot, had to be carted off Tuesday with a right ankle injury. You got Joe Mixon, of course, and uh, P. Ryan is gone. But, you know, ankle injuries are, are so devastating. We don't have clarity if it's a break or or what the situation is, but... Man, it had to be pretty serious for the, the the medical cart to come out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, definitely looked uh, pretty significant there on the front end. Um, it sounded like just the deformity that had kind of developed as he had the injury was pretty significant. Um, you know, I saw today there's a little bit of an update here, and it sounds like it's you know more positive than, than what we initially had thought. But you know, as you see an injury like that and start thinking about okay, what are some possibilities here? With this type of injury, I'll kind of run down the list of those things. So, you know, common to have obviously an ankle sprain occur, uh, but as you kind of go to that next level, so as we think about any type of twisting injury to the ankle, you know, there's various ways that can happen, whether it's a simple way of rolling to the outside, you know, stepping on another player's foot, ankle rolls to the outside. That's the most common thing that happens. You know, the first thing that happens is as it rolls, you start to stretch those ligaments. So anatomically, you start to start in that front outside corner, and as you kind of continue to roll that, that mechanism kind of travels further around the outside and into the back, and then it gets shifted over to the inside, and that's kind of how this goes in terms of the mechanism of the injury. So you start out, of course, first with the sprain. If that force or trauma mechanism is high enough, then you eventually reach a point where you crack through that small bone on the outside called the fibula, and then that force can then transfer to the inside part of the ankle, which the kind of inside ball portion of ankle is called the medial malleolus. You can fracture that, and you can even take it a step further and fracture off kind of the back part of the shin or the tibia, which we call the posterior malleolus, and that can be kind of the you know, worst-case scenario from that perspective. If you go the other direction, let's say, again, you step in another player's foot or you twist the wrong way and that foot actually rolls to the inside, then you worry more about that force actually being transferred further up the uh, leg into an area called the syndesmosis, which we've talked about before. And that's basically that strong ligament that's between the fibula and the tibia. And as you kind of transfer that force kind of rolling to the inside, the foot tends to kind of externally rotate or move, the toes move to the outside. And then that force transfers through there, and you can actually tear part of that. And that's kind of a whole other kind of category and treatment and a longer road to go. And that's kind of on that high ankle sprain kind of pathway. It's Dr. Brandon Seifert with us here at Jock Doc Wednesday on Hale Varsity Radio. And Dr. Brandon, I have some personal experience with the ankle injury. My freshman year of high school, I, I broke my ankle. And 
about two months following the injury, I was I was good to come back and be a full participant in uh, workouts and whatnot. I missed the rest of the football season, but that was about it. And I want to get your your thoughts here on just the range of how how long this injury could take before he gets back on the field. He's a guy who's on a one year deal this year, and it's pretty important to show something in that one year at most points if you're following up a rookie contract. So, well, what's the range here of how long this return to play could be? Could it be as as soon as a couple weeks and as long as a couple months? Like. What are you still waiting to hear on this injury in terms of how long it's going to be until he's able to be back on a football field? Yeah, you know, great question from that perspective. It really is typically if this is going to be kind of that mild sprain where you roll that foot to the outside, you you could be back as soon as maybe a week or two. Um, At that level, they push it maybe more like two or three weeks just to make sure they're fully recovered knowing kind of where you're at during the season, obviously how much money they've invested in you and then what their kind of aspirations are for the end of the year. Um, And again, you could go a lot longer, you know, let's say this injury is involving, you know, the bony part of it. So you have a fracture here. Now you're looking more like it could be six, eight, 10 weeks. If it's obviously surgically related, it might have to be, you know, three to six months. So there's a pretty large kind of window here. Um, You know, as we kind of move forward and think about him and, you know, some of the positive news that's coming out, it sounds like this is going to be more of kind of a mild sprain. So we're talking more ligamentous type injury here. Um, Really nothing in terms of fracture, at least not that they have listed. And so that's obviously a good sign. You know, that starts to bring that recovery time down a lot lower. Then you start asking the question about what part of that, you know, did he injure? Was it more kind of those outside structures? Again, that kind of shortens that recovery time. You tend to move along pretty quickly in your recovery if you're more kind of outside of the ankle, kind of rolling the ankle to the outside type mechanism. Where that number starts to go longer is if you have more of those that we talked about, higher ankle sprains, and you kind of roll the foot more to the inside. That usually is, you know, much higher much higher trauma to make that occur, and the recovery time is usually quite a bit longer. It could be anywhere from four to eight weeks. Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us, Nebraska Orthopedics Center, a jock doc Wednesday, Travion Williams, Cincinnati, an angle ankle issue. When we talk about re-injury, how temperamental is this part of the body? We know that running backs got to be able to put that foot in the ground and cut or get vertical out of the backfield, but it's, uh, it's an important part of their anatomy. Yeah, absolutely, and that that really is one of the biggest things we think about with these is you typically can get a lot of these athletes back with kind of that mild to moderate sprain pretty quickly. Then the question always becomes, what's your kind of re-injury risk? How is it? How easy is it to retweak it? You know, again, it's kind of position dependent, but we do see that re-injury risk, re kind of tweak risk, go up quite a bit more with those folks that are doing a lot more kind of thing, have to stop, change directions. And so for him, it, it'd be pretty easy when he goes back those first couple of weeks to kind of have those events where you kind of retweak it. Um, again, if he's fortunate here, and this is more just purely a ligamentous type injury and doesn't really have any big kind of deep bone bruises, so kind of a cartilage bruise, if he doesn't have any of those, that re-injury risk tends to go down. Um, and also just the discomfort from it goes down a lot if you're not kind of dealing with the cartilage bruise on top of it. Dr. Brandon, at what point do you start worrying about this becoming chronic ankle injuries? What kind of uh, re-injury rate does that need to be where you you define this as chronic? Yeah, so in those folks, you know, if you have that really – well, one of, the, one of the things you always worry about is some of these athletes, if they have a lot of, you know, hypermobility kind of joint laxity already on, superimposed on top of it. So if you take those folks and they transition to having a you know, pretty high-grade sprain, then I worry more about those folks are going to kind of end up in that chronic – kind of instability category. But if you take somebody who's, you know, not super hypermobile and they have kind of that one sprain, if you rehab them really well, then the odds are, and it's kind of on the mild to moderate sprain side, they're not going to develop kind of that recurrent instability pathway. 
but if you take somebody where you start to really have that really high degree of a sprain where you do have a significant ligamentous injury that involves more than kind of one of those ligamentous structures that kind of travels around the backside, and then also you add into, you know, maybe they've had that kind of cartilage bruise, it takes a lot of force to do that. And then you worry about, you know, what kind of elasticity is going to be left, how much will this tighten back up, and then those folks tend to start to end up on that chronic instability side. Fortunately, though, that number is usually pretty low, you know, in terms of somebody who needs some type of surgical stabilization to address kind of that chronic ankle instability. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Dr. Brandon, thanks for a few minutes today. You bet, fellas. Take care. Good to spend time with Dr. Brandon. Hail Varsity Radio rolls forward. I uh, got this info as we're part of the stream here. Hail Varsity YouTube channel. <laughs> as Skurs Talk says, just go for 24 teams. A 24-team conference. Add four from the Pac-12, four from the ACC. Bring on Oregon, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, Washington, and whoever else makes sense is the final three. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time. Pretty good tweet here from Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. The issue for the Big Ten, those West Coast schools, the issue is how do you, how do you pay for them, right? Fox, CBS, NBC, not going to pony up another $70 million per school. And I'm sorry, but I'm not paying $70 million. I'm probably not paying $35 million. I'm not paying twenty for Stanford or Cal. Sorry, not going to do it. Um, ESPN and Apple, they're lowballing these current schools in the Pac-12 because it's just not a sexy market league anymore. You don't have SC. You don't have UCLA. You don't have... That dude on the horse that saying peace after every touchdown or first down. Uh, travel expenses are brutal. Now, the Big Ten could get them at a discount. You'd be getting brands, Oregon, Uncle Phil, uh, a top 10 program coming in right now at Washington with one of the up and coming young, bright, bright offensive minds in Kalen DeBoer. I don't need to be sold or have my arm twisted or buy me a drink. Uh, for Washington and Oregon. You better chip off some of that tech money or endowment if I'm entertaining Stanford. And the cheese and wine academic types would just love that. (laughs) Northwestern would have a dancing partner. And pretty soon you're going to have enough teams in your conference, theoretically, that who the hell's Notre Dame going to play? I mean, I mean that because they because they play Stanford every year, they play USC every year, they play half of the Big Ten. It feels like, or at least the Michigans or Purdue for sure. And and then what else? You, if you if you snag Clemson and you snag Florida State, ooh, Irish versus Pitt, come on down. Now I know that's probably going to be a decent matchup, but overall, it's it's not super appetizing year in year out because Pitt's not been great since the Marino era I mean and the, I think the question moving forward is from, a, from a football and athletic point of view do you go quality or do you go quantity do you snap up teams that you, other you go programs qu- you go quality and I don't think from a football point of view Stanford and Cal are quality I, I think whenever I think of the quality schools they that, could be 
They were for a bit. The, the quality schools I think of right now, I don't even probably list Washington on there in terms of being a quality Big Ten football athletics program. But, I think of Oregon, probably Miami, but I don't know. Miami's not even popular in Miami. No, because you've got beaches and beauties and South Beach. North Carolina, from a football point of view, quality, all right. it's all right. It's not what you like. It's not, it's not the likes of USC and UCLA. No, but you, but you, get, you get hoops. Yeah, hoops. And I know hoops doesn't pay the bills. Football does, but... Pretty fascinating like, to see where it goes. Can't wait to talk tomorrow to Gary Barnett. When I think of quality, the teams I think of, Oregon, like it or not, within the past two decades, Oregon's a top 20 brand in college football. They're top 10. I'd probably agree with you. Some of the old heads out there might not like that, but that's that's the fact of the matter right now. Notre Dame. and there's, they've, they've been to the playoff twice. They're still the Irish. And aside from that, I struggle to think of teams that are truly, truly quality ads for the Big Ten. And there's, there's other factors to consider besides just football and how much money you can bring in a TV media rights deal. I understand that there are some other interests, but that's the number one. That's the most important is how much quality do you bring to our football conference so we can charge more money to these TV providers? Those are the two schools I think of, of being truly, truly quality. Well, we'll be back at it tomorrow. Uh, Jeremiah Searle is going to join us. We'll talk some more Husker football. We'll hear from Coach Sat uh, and also uh, Gary Barnett. Brandon Vogel joins us. Talk to you tomorrow at 4 on Hale Varsity. A Huda Media Production.